Hello and welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Alpha podcast, which will be the last of the year. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Very good. Nice to have you back, John. Yes, nice to be back. Nice to be back. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a busy few uh, few weeks getting the uh, the new mag ready to launch, which we now have. It's uh, on sale in all uh, good news agents now, um, and it's, uh, it looks fantastic. And there's some amazing content in it, including your uh, your piece on technology and uh, and big tech IPOs, which we're going to talk about now. And we're also going to talk about takeovers, um, specifically in the context of what's going on with Codemasters. Should we start with tech? Yep. So, so basically, the, the, the premise of the article is whether we should be investing in these great big tech IPOs that we're seeing over in the US. We've obviously this week, or in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Airbnb uh, and DoorDash coming to market uh, at extremely, extremely high valuations, um, which have raised some eyebrows. And, and for you, are just trying to put some sense around what's going on in this industry. Talk, talk us through the sort of rationale uh, behind your piece. In very simple terms, I you know I think there's a split between what's going on in the IPO market, which looks ridiculous, and what's going on with established tech companies, which looks a little bit more sensible. So I you know I don't you know you and I are old enough to have been around working in this sort of industry. In the tech bubble, mm. painful, um, painful memories, some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think that uh, it's not it's not quite the same. Um, you know, I mean, back back then, in um, you know, back in the you know the late nineties, you were you know you were just seeing businesses that you just knew were were worthless. Um, you knew you just didn't have any. You know, some of them didn't even have any revenues. Never mind, never mind profits, and just absolute junk being put onto the uh, put onto the stock markets. You know, I don't think anybody would say that Airbnb and and DoorDash are are junk. You know, they are proper businesses um, providing services to customers, um, and they have they have revenue. They don't have much profit yet and whether they will make a lot of profit is very much open to question but they they are proper businesses but the valuations that i think airbnb looks the most looks the most ridiculous um you know just in very 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 simple terms you know it's never made a profit you know it's been in you know it never made an annual profit it has made a quarterly profit um, it's never made an annual profit. It's been in business since 2007. And it's seen fabulous growth. Lots of people have heard about it. Um, lots of listeners will probably maybe even have used it. I've never used it. I know people who have, uh, have been very happy with it. And, um, you know, it is it is growing in terms of bookings and the value of the bookings. And then they take a fee on those bookings. Um but it's just not converting that into profit. And, you know, both what, what interests me actually is that both um, Airbnb and, uh, and DoorDash, they're, they're essentially platform businesses, you know, and we've talked about platform businesses a lot on this podcast in recent weeks and months. 
you know, businesses like Hargreaves, Lansdowne, AJ Bell, Auto Trader, Money Supermarket. Bright, these businesses, yeah, yeah. These businesses can, if you get enough scale on them, they are money printing machines. I mean, Airbnb has um, a fair amount of scale. It's a big old business. It's doing a lot of business. Um, this is they've shut off the competition. They've acquired the scale to to corner corner the market that they're in, and it's very very difficult for for competitors to compete because they just can't get the scale. Where I think it's different with Airbnb is that you know it's actually competing in a very crowded market. You know there are still lots of hotel companies that you can just go and book directly with. They've got their own websites. You have things like Booking.com, eBookers, Expedia. On, um, on the Beach, who we, uh, we saw results from yeah. this week and, and who you've written about in your, uh, your Alpha report. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and so, you know, the, the, bar- the barriers to entry in this business are not, are not high. And, you know, you have to keep the, the, what, what, what all these platform businesses seem to have in common is that they require a very, very high level of marketing spend to, uh, to, keep, to keep the businesses going and then growing. I mean, isn't, isn't, the, this, isn't the argument with some of these um, unicorns, though, these unprofitable, very large technology companies, isn't it the old Amazon trick? You know, we are going to rather make a profit. Every penny that we make, we're going to pump back into growing this business uh, and making it even bigger and, and, and making it even stronger. So we shouldn't worry about profitability because, because that is funding growth, which will take it to that position of strength. Uh, I, can't, I, get, I get the reasoning. I, I don't believe that's the truth. I think the thing that Amazon did, you see, obviously, is that it, Amazon was very aggressive and um, took a lot of market share from bricks and mortar retailers and perfected, or not perfected, but built up a very big competitive advantage in delivery um, and, and scale. And Airbnb is doing some of that, but it not, not to the, the extent that the, that the traditional players in this market are falling by the wayside. Um, so it's not, it's not, it's not really a disruptor, you know, Amazon was a disruptor, you know, it started in, it started in books and essentially came in and was very aggressive on pricing and delivery of books. Uh, That's not what Airbnb is about. Airbnb is essentially a middleman. It's a distributor. It's linking up travelers and providers of accommodation it's not really it's not really you know does it it's not really offering the customer a massive cost saving on like on like for like yes you can get a room in somebody's house cheaper than a a posh hotel in downtown new york and or, or london but that's not really what it's about what, why is it chosen to list now? I mean, you mentioned, you know, it's not seeing competitors falling by the wayside because it's disrupting its industry. I mean, but competitors are falling over because of COVID. Um, but, but COVID's affected Airbnb as well. So I mean, you have to wonder. I mean, the timing doesn't seem great. But having said that, people piled into this on the day of the IPO. 
there seems to be an inherent contradiction in the the the, the market backdrop and what's happened to to to, uh, to the Airbnb IPO. If you were a little bit cynical and you looked at the you looked at the, uh, the terms of the IPO and, and what was that. Yeah, one of the things that you should always look at when 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 you get a company coming to the market is what's the company going to do with the proceeds? You know, what's it raising the cash for? And Airbnb, all the cash is going to the selling shareholders. It's not being reinvested in the business. It's so you can just say, look, the it's an it's a it's a classic piece of opportunism of taking a hot market, uh, a well-known product, um, and cashing out at a very opportune time. Um, obviously, the the reaction in the share price will have them thinking, "Oh, we could have placed, we could have raised a lot more money than we have." You know, that's what they'll be saying. But I don't know. Time will tell with this. I, I think that, I think a lot of retail investors piled in in this. I think the, there was a, definitely a Robin Hood effect. Um, but the valuation is crazy. You know, you, you you look at. I mean, when I wrote this, the market cap was seventy five billion. I think it's a bit less than that now. And you could have bought with seventy five billion. You could have had Marriott, Intercontinental, Accor, Hyatt. Four big, big hotel brands, and still had change left over. Or you could have bought Hilton, Marriott, um, and almost Intercontinental for, for the same amount of money. Three massive global hotel chains, um, which are profitable, very profitable when things are good. And you know, just a bit of common sense will, at least, at the very least, get you to ask the question, thinking. Does that make sense? And a lot of people will come to the conclusion that it doesn't. Yeah, you've uh, you've actually put a really useful little checklist uh, together in your your uh, article for the magazine about the questions you should ask when you're uh, you're you're weighing up these these kind of uh, tech IPOs. You mentioned that um, there is a split in the technology industry, and you've you've done a sort of comparative table here. Of established tech companies, and you said you, you said earlier that you know they, they look a bit more reasonable. The stories make a bit more sense. Can you sort of expand on that? Yeah, I mean they look they look they look reasonable in in two ways. I mean these businesses have been doing well for for a long time. Um, they they have become part of people's and businesses everyday life they are deeply entrenched within a lot of ecosystems now and there are things such as cloud computing for example where that market looks to be you know becoming i don't know a market that is dominated by maybe four or five players and COVID and lockdown has has raised even more awareness, and there was a lot of awareness already, um, that businesses moving to the cloud um, is what they need to do. And this, this story has got a long way to go. This process, this migration has got a long way to go. And companies like Microsoft, um, Amazon, 
um, Google to an extent um, are, are very well placed. And then, you know, you just look at things like business management software. So you look at like companies like Microsoft again with their dynamic software, Salesforce. Um, these are the kind of companies that are, you know, not only there now, but they, they continue to innovate. They have great customer loyalty. They're, they have very, 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 what, I don't like the term because I find it a bit cheesy, but yeah, economic moats. They have this. What they have is economic moats. I hate. I hate the phrase. Um, we know what it means, have, though. They, they're, do, they're, they're doing things, and they have the scale, the products to defend what they do and grow on it. They, they seem to have depth, um, depth as well. There's, they're not one-trick ponies. Yeah. And I look, I look at a lot of the recent tech IPOs, and it's like they do one thing, and or or a couple of things at best. Um, and yet have massive valuations. These tech companies seem to offer yeah. a lot more. The established tech companies. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just it's not just product depth, but it's like geographic depth as well. You know, all over the world, a lot of these companies, and you know, they can they offer a, they they are very very useful to their customers. And you know, you look at the valuations of these businesses, and yeah, they're high. They're high. You know, if you look at it in terms of earnings yields and free cash flow yields, you know, you're looking like 2 3%. But if inflation stays low and interest, I mean, I think we can take it as a given, at least for the foreseeable future, that interest rates aren't going up. Not to say that they won't. There might be some rogue event that causes interest rates to spike. But interest rates aren't going up. Yeah, this is, this is, this is something you discussed in your AV report as well. Yeah. Inflation is the big unknown. But what, what, what we get back to here is, you know, the real essence and basics of investing. You know, why do you invest? You invest to grow the buying power of your money. And you grow the buying power of your money by getting a higher return on your investments than the rate of inflation. And the, the benefit that you have with, with shares or the potential benefit that you have with shares is that, is the ability of companies to grow those returns. And the, these tech companies um, look, look like a very, very reliable source of growth for the next, certainly for the next few years. And whilst the valuation is high, um, it's backed by profitability, you know, returns on investment, cash flow generation. And then you add in the magic ingredient of growth and dependable growth, and you throw it all into the mix. You look at the business risk. Clearly, there's a there is some worry at the moment about things like antitrust and and market power. But leave this leave that aside for this podcast. These companies still, I think, have a lot to offer. Now, that's not the same as saying that they're going to offer. The kind of stellar returns that um, they've offered over the last few years, and, and, and in twenty twenty in particular. But I, you know, I came to the conclusion that they still look okay. Mm. I mean, there, there has been a, a suggestion that COVID has, has accelerated their growth this year, so uh, so that, that that may leave them in future years, years struggling to grow as fast. So, so perhaps their their uh, you know this has been their 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 bright spot. 
things are going to perhaps look a little bit tougher, not to say that they're going to disappear. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Should we actually talk about more, more uh, technology, but this time in the form of video gaming uh, and Codemasters? I, th- I think you wanted to talk more generally about takeovers. I mean, this is a very interesting situation. Um, talk through what's going on. Codemaster is it's a very niche video, computer game, mobile gaming business. You know, Codemasters was the maker of the first game that I ever bought for my ZX Spectrum. Phantomass, it was called. <laughs> That's amazing, it's still around. But it's, it, it has carved out a niche for itself. It doesn't make those Spectrum platform gamers anymore. No, it's essentially focused on... It is focused on, um, you know, driving simulation games. Formula One It has other brands called... Um, Dirt is, is another one. And... They, they, they're doing very, very well. You know, they've built up a very loyal um, following. They are bringing new games to market whilst keeping existing games very popular, keeping the revenues in. They're signing new deals. They've signed deals with, you know, World Rally Championship, and they're going to bring out new new games there. And it it, it is... A very profitable business. I mean, the business is not, you know, it's got a few controversies uh, surrounding. I mean, there's an article on our website about non-executive pay at Codemasters, which I thought was very interesting. Part of that to one side. Um, This is a good business. Yeah, it's very profitable. It makes good returns on investment. It has got a platform for growth. It is niche Um. And I can see, I mean, obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I, but you can, you can see why someone's had a go at this, had a look at this. I mean, you could have bought these shares for, for two quid in March. And I think yesterday they were £6.57. And we've had a, we had a, a buy, first buyer about, a first takeover bid in early November at about four eighty five. Um. And then this week we've had Electronic Arts EA come in and offer, uh, I think it was about six oh five or something. Or valued the business about nine hundred and forty five million, and the share price is you know above that offer, which you know usually suggests that the market is expecting another bid here. And I think the the lesson here there's a very valuable lesson here for for investors. And it is that scarce assets that are very profitable, very niche can sell for a lot more than you think they can. Now, you can look at the valuation on the stock market, and that's not the same as the value to an acquirer. So EA, EA will look at this, and it can integrate this into its business, which is massive. And eke out extra profits. Right. So, so it's not about um, the money it's making today, Codemasters. It's about what this can do, how, they, how EA or Take Two Interactive, which is the other bidder, uh, can leverage what, what, what Codemasters have, its intellectual property, to, to grow even further. Absolutely. So, so, and it, and it, but it's more than that as well. It's what, and it, and it's, the, it's the value, it's the additional value that can be eked out by bringing it into its existing business. And this is why, you know, you can look at things and say, 
oh, that looks expensive. But somebody else who's in the same industry can look at it and say, hold on a minute, I can, I can, I can do something with this and I can make a lot more money, money with this than it can on its own. And, you know, I think it's very interesting that you see, you know, Frontier Developments, which is a, another gaming business, a very good one, in my opinion. Um, their share price has, has been very strong this week. And, um, you know, they have, they have a big, big uh, their biggest independent shareholder is Tencent Holdings, um, Chinese internet conglomerate. And there's always, to, you know, there's, they've, they've owned the stake for the last three and a bit years. And there's always going to be kind of speculation that what's the end game with, with Frontier Developments. And Frontier Developments and Codemasters, there's a lot of similarities in that they have, they have a, a, an established portfolio of games and then they've put the investment in for growth. And, um, yeah, both, both look very interesting businesses. Um, I imagine if you're a shareholder in, in, in these kind of companies, um, you don't really want them to disappear, um, uh, because you've got to replace them with something. And, uh, this is why, this is why, you know, takeover premiums, um, are so, are so important. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, UK video games are, are well known. It's an industry that's well known for being at the top of its game. Um, but there are actually lots of really other, you know, there are actually lots of really good businesses across uh, the UK market that are sort of bit, got a bit lost in the fact that UK shares have fallen very much out of favour. And there does seem to be a bit of attention now being paid from, from potential buyers in the UK market. Um, and what, what's, what's going on here? Do you think it's just purely depressed valuations or is, is it the fact that, that the UK, um, particularly sort of smaller tech companies, have, has something really interesting to offer? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think, you know, I, there are some good companies in the UK. I mean, I think the, the UK is, you know, it's very much a stock picker's market. Um, it's not, you know, I held the view for a while. It's not the kind of market that does very well if you just try and track the, track the various indices in it. But within those, within those indices, there are some good, there are some good businesses there. And, you know, some of them, I don't think you can say that some of these good businesses are cheap. I mean, you look at some of the value, valuations of you know, what I consider to be very good businesses, and they're not being given away. Um, so I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether you will get, you know, more, more interest at, at, at current valuations. I mean, I'm not... You know, could I see something, something like Spyrax Sarco being taken over from its current price? Very difficult. I mean, it's not a tech company. I know you're talking about tech, but it's not a tech company. But within the sort of smaller space, yes, yes, I think there's. I think it's definitely possible because for for a bigger acquirer, these are sort of like bite sized bite sized meals. They they can be they can be integrated. And this is obviously the thing that, you know, us as outsiders, as spectators, as investors, you you don't know. You you know, you're not inside the mind of a potential acquirer. But this is why I go back and say this is um this is this is a this is a lesson. And um I think, you know, one of one of the points that's often been made 
well, not often been made, but you know, there's there's a great book out there. Uh, it's called Quality Investing, and one of the one of the main and I forget the the, the author's name escapes me for, for, at the moment, but it's a really good book. Um, and one of the one of the central themes that um, come out of this book is the stock market undervalues really good businesses, and quite often. This is shown in in a takeover. I mean, I mean, Nick Train makes this kind of point as well that you know Unilever should trade on forty five times earnings or something like that. I'm not sure I agree with that. That's the direction of travel of his his thought processes, and I'm not quite with him all the way, but I know where he's coming from. I mean, let's let's talk about another uh, couple of UK companies, uh, not necessarily tech, uh, that are in sort of potential takeover territory, or they're certainly involved in corporate actions. One is JD Sports, and you mentioned earlier that you know you sometimes look at what companies are buying and think, why are they doing that? Um, maybe they see something in the way that they can integrate it into their business, and and I, and I think you've raised those questions over JD Sports' latest move to buy a company called Shoe Palace over in the US. Yeah. I'm a bit puzzled by this one, John. Um, I, I, I think JD Sports as a business is something is a, is a, it's a company that I admire. It's not a company I admire when I walk through the doors with my kids and they want me to buy buy some of the trainers in there. But it's it's. it's I've been in that situation too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, in some ways, that's telling you how strong a business is because it has has the street cred that everybody wants to go. But it has been a very, very good business, a very, very good retailer. Um, and it went into the American market. I mean, it's, it, it tried to build up. It's built up a few of its own stores in the American market. It has about 11 JD Sports branded stores in America um, at the moment. And a couple of years ago, I went and bought a business called Finish Line. And which had stores and concessions in department stores and things like that. And Finish Line was in a bit of a mess. And JD Sports have done a really good job with Finish Line. And they've gone in, sorted it out, put put their best practice in, and they've they've turned the profits around. And they're making a decent return on that investment now. Uh, this week they've 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 sort of gone a bit of a step further. And I mean, finish line is in about 40, 40 U.S. states. Shoe Palace is hard, Shoe Palace is a smaller bit, smaller footprint in terms of stores, and about half its stores are in California, or more than half its stores are in California. The rest is in places like Arizona, Texas, Colorado, Nevada, places like that. So it's a sort of it's a, it's very much a complementary add-on to uh, to finish line uh, and concentrating, you know, in one of the wealthiest wealthiest parts of the United States. And there's no doubt there's going to be benefits of combining finish line and shoe palace. And that's okay. That's fine. Ticks the box. Where I where I get a little bit lost with this is the nature of the transaction and the price that they're paying. Unlike Finish Line, Shoe Palace looks like it's been very well managed. It's a family, family-owned business. It's making 12% profit margins, or it was making 12% profit margins last year, which is, it's not the sign of a business that, you know, 
that's struggling, that needs to be turned around. It's doing well. And, you know, you look at you look at the price that, that JD is paying for this. And this is where this is where I, I find it interesting. And I'm scratching my head because so they're laying out three hundred and twenty five million of cash. And on top of that, they're giving the selling owners, the selling shareholders of Shoe Palace, 20 percent of the combined U.S. business, which is Finish Line Shoe Palace and the 11 JD Sports stores. And that's got a fair value of 356 million. So it looks like JD is shelling out 680 million in value, in, in, it's giving away 680 million in value in terms of equity and cash. And what it's getting back so last year shoe palace made 52 million dollars of pre-tax but it's now giving away 20% of what it made what it's making in the US as well which is about 95 million quid last year so without getting bogged down in this the the way i look at this uh, you know maybe i've got the wrong end of the stick but it seems that this deal is laying out, giving away something in equity and cash for the for the profits of Shoe Palace, yeah. But then you're giving away twenty percent of what you what you already had. So the incremental profit that you're actually getting for this, so you get so you get the Shoe Palace profits. You then give twenty percent of that back, and then you give twenty percent of 95 million back which is what the other, the other parts of the US business to somebody else and it seems that JD Sports shareholders aren't getting much and I'm I'm re- I, I and this to me looks verging on a bad deal John but as you say it 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 seems so odd that there must be a good reason for doing it they must know why they're doing it and, you know, maybe, as so the US retail market, with the exception of your giants, whether they be Amazon online or Walmart or Costco, it's quite fragmented. America is a big old place and very, very regional. And you can have very large businesses in, 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 in small parts of, of what is a very big country. Maybe JD just wants to dominate the US trader market and this is the way to do it. Maybe. I mean, and, and I think, you know... If you look at JD's track record, um, certainly with Finish Line, less so with some of its UK acquisitions. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure Blacks has been a fantastic success. No, but, no, it's, it's made a few mis, missteps over here. Yeah, um, you can give it the benefit of the doubt that that it can do something with this. Yeah, I think we can give them the benefit of the doubt for the time being. But there's another uh, UK company which we've alluded to already uh, whose investors are perhaps not giving it the benefit of the doubt at the moment. It's a company that we've liked for a long time, um, but, but it's, it's had a few bits of bad news in the last few weeks uh, that, that have uh, raised some questions over its prospects, Avon Rubber. And we've seen its share price fall quite sharply as a result. And that potentially leaves it in a position, as, as, as you suggested, Phil, where it may become, having been a, a quite a serial acquirer, uh, a takeover target itself. Yeah, that's kind of my, my line of thinking. Um, this is a business that I still like. 
but I don't like it as much as I did as I used to. And I, uh, I, I, you know, I think we spoke it's when, when James and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the the results the results weren't very good. The, the the sort of organic revenue growth, which is the key, one of the key things you should look at when you're looking at the underlying health of a business of its of the military business, the masks, the respirators sold to military customers collapse in the second half of the year. Uh, that was a very worrying sign. And then I, you know, I also looked at the, they gave a very detailed slide at their, at their analyst presentation about the contracts that they had and the revenues that they could get from it. And I looked at the forecasts for the, for the company. It looked like pretty much the most bullish outcome for this business was already factored into forecasts. So, yes, they can win new contracts, but for me, the, the source of earnings upgrades, which has been a key driver of the share price, along with acquisitions, had been taken away. And then you mix in with like a red flag on organic revenues. And I thought, oh, this. and then you look at the valuation of the shares and you just start thinking, this is not a nice mix. Um, but I, I was, you know, like everybody, I was very surprised at the news that came out yesterday. And it's, I think you need to take a step back from this. And it's not a disaster, okay? It's not a disaster for everyone. Is in that one of their contracts that they thought that was going to come through in the first half of the current financial year has been delayed. And it's going to come through in the second half, in the first half of next financial year. So profit forecasts for this year will go down. Other things being equal, profit forecasts for next year will go up. Um, having said that, this is the kind of thing that investors do not like because it just doesn't sit easy with them. You know, a company that has that they may well have uh, or have trusted and relied on and had a lot of respect for. I'm not saying that's gone out the window at all, but it will have been tainted slightly. It will. There will be some tarnish that is rubbed off the company because of this, unfortunately. Um, having said that, the shares now are off, I don't know, more than a quarter in the, in the last month. Maybe, and if you believe that everything's OK, and the rest of the trading statement was pretty good, actually. You know, deliveries, order intake, all going pretty well. And, you know, this is this is still a very, very good business. Then, you know, on, on two years out, this is looking like something that's on 20 times earnings. Now, 20 times earnings is, the, you know, not not viewed as, as expensive these days. Particularly not in the US. And, no, exactly. And, you know, this, this is... This is um, you know, we talk about takeovers and, and things like that. This is something that certainly would now be on my takeover watch list. Yeah, because because I think because I think it is still a very very good business, well managed. It's hit a bit of a you know hit a bit of a rough bit, patch of rough seas, um, which it can navigate out of. But I, I think the, obviously the lesson is for investors. When you get a share that's chased up to a high valuation, 
there is no room for events like this. You know, you cannot have a slowdown in growth. You cannot have a bump and expect the the stock market to shrug shrug their shoulders. But sometimes the stock market overreacts. And I mean, there was another bit of news in there about, you know, a protest about a sole supply contract, which again will just raise some doubts as to the, you know, what's going on with the business model. I think it'll be fine. All these kind of things will get investors and particularly investors who've owned this share for a, a long, a long time, or no, not even a long time, you know, over, just over a year. And they might just say, look, I'm, just, I'm out. I'm going to bank profits. And I think, I think, the concerns that I have about organic growth are still there, uh, still there for me. But the price now that's attached to the shares is interesting, yeah. um, very interesting. I mean, it's, it's also a very good example of, uh, of of how momentum can come up to a very abrupt halt when something goes wrong. I mean, that share price was was on the up all year, and now there's a very sharp cliff at the end of it. Yeah, and this is the risk. This is the ri- again. You know, we talk about lessons, and you know, hi- hindsight is a wonderful thing. But you know, I think you and I have talked about this with various shares over the last couple of years. You know, you should buy a share just because it's going up. It feels. It feels. I mean, I know momentum is is proven as a as a strong factor in returns, but it just doesn't feel right because it could be a rubbish share that's going up. To be fair to Avon. It- it wasn't. A, it isn't a rubbish share. I'm not. I'm not saying Avon is, but but momentum can yes. can, can come anywhere. Um, we're, we're seeing it in US tech, as you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. Indis- there is an indiscriminate nature to, to to buying into momentum. I feel that that worries me. What worries me with momentum is that at some point you know there's a cliff edge. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Talking of, uh, of of cliff edges, that is the end of uh, of, of our year, Phil. In uh, in Alpha Podcasting, uh, we've run out of time. Um, I hope you uh, you got some nice plans for Christmas. No, no, very quiet one, which which I'm not complain which I'm not complaining about. Done all your shopping? Almost. Excellent. You're far better prepared than I am. Um, thank you, Phil, uh, for your insights. Thank you for everything uh, this year. Both your uh, your magazine columns and alpha reports and and, and podcasts, of course. Um, and I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to uh, to us witter on and has got some insight out of it. Um, thank you very much, Phil. Thank you, John. And have a have a wonderful Christmas. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps. dot com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.